We're in Matthew chapter 5, and as we've talked about a little bit this morning, I know some of you are not able to be here this morning, but we discussed uh, a little bit of what we're going to do over the next uh, four services after tonight. We're taking the time to talk about uh, committed to God's purposes and practical Christianity. What does a real Christian look like? What does a real Christian practice? What is the practical aspects of the true Christian? Now, I cannot uh, in, in four or five services adequately, I couldn't do it in, in 200 services, tell you what, every, every, uh, uh, what God desires for every Christian. But I love the book of Matthew in chapter 5, 6, and 7 because it's a Sermon on the Mount, probably the greatest message ever recorded. It was preached by our Lord Jesus Christ. He is on a mountain. Multitudes have followed him. It looks like he goes a little higher and goes and he has primarily his disciples, those faithful followers of his, and he gives them this three chapters that are recorded. They're not in the book of John, nor are they in the book of Mark. And a little caption of it is in the book of Luke. But here, from start to finish, God gives us uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And there are several practical things that I think that need to be in the lives of Christians. Now, I would say probably its primary application will pertain heavily to the Millennium Kingdom, where Jesus in Matthew, of course, he's the king. And so it's going to talk about the kingdom of God and his kingdom setting up. And I think practically speaking, uh, excuse me, from primary application is talking about a future kingdom in the millennium. However, I think they're very practical things that need to be applied to us today. This morning, we begin talking about the characteristics of practical Christianity. We're going to talk a little bit about the influences of practical Christianity this evening. But let's begin, if we can, at verse number one together. The Bible says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and, then, and when he was set, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed. Now, the word blessed means God's blessing is on that person. They're happy. It means happy. So we see that in, in, in Psalms 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Uh, of course, in Psalms 119, verse 1, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Well, God says, this is the Christian, that w this is the kind of person that God would make happy and would pour his blessings on in and through. Well, what is the first thing? Number one, blessed are the poor in spirit. We spoke about that this morning. It's someone, poor in spirit does not mean poor in substance. It means somebody who is not self-reliant. It's somebody who is not independent, trying to do things on his own, trying to do things on her own. It's someone who is dependent upon the Lord. He said, blessed is the poor in spirit. Because we find the benefit of that is that God is going to give them a very enjoyable future. In this lifetime, you primarily need to be totally dependent upon the Lord. And he said, people who learn to depend upon the Lord, cast your care upon the Lord. He cares for you. Cast your burden on the Lord. He shall sustain you. Learning to not to try to live life independent. Every once in a while you find even parents will say, well, my kids are going to grow up independent. I don't want to have to depend upon anybody. Well, listen, friend, we're all dependent upon the Lord. 
Everybody needs to live learning to lean upon the Lord. Even that famous verse that you and I would probably quote by heart, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and? And to what? And all your ways acknowledge him who directed the path. God tells us, don't put the man who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Trying to live independently, he said, blessed are the poor of spirit. Blessed are someone who is not self-reliant. The second thing we spoke about this morning was, was having to do with mourning. And basically, it says, verse number four, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And that has to do with sincere repentance. Not only self-reliance, but whenever you're done wrong, admit it and quit it. Fess up and say, you know, I've done this wrong. The Bible reminds us, whoso covereth his sin will not prosper. But whoso confesses and forsakes sin, they'll have mercy. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just. He joins someone who will willingly confess our sin. I'm always reminded about this one, when Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned the Garden of Eden. And every day before that, for the weeks, months, years, decades before that, they came and they couldn't wait to see and to talk with Jesus in the cool of the day. The voice of the Lord would talk with them. But when sin took place, they hid from the voice of the Lord. By the way, you can oftentimes tell when your child is struggling if they don't want to be with you. <laughs> they want to just go by themselves. That's not good. You ought, to be, you ought to be open with your mom and dad children. And you ought to be, if, there, if there's something going on, it'll cause you to withdraw rather than to come close. They sinned and they went away. And then it's interesting to me that the Lord said, Adam, where art thou? Do you know, do you think he asked because he didn't know? No, God's omniscient. He knows everything. But he said, Adam, where are you? And then Adam, of course, stepped out and he said, we're over here. He said, well, maybe the Lord said, that's a cute skirt you have on there. What's going on? He had sewed fig leaves to cover his nakedness. And, and he said, you know, because I was afraid I was naked. And I, he said, well, who told you you were naked? Did you eat the fruit tree that I told you not to eat? And, of course, he asked him those questions. He didn't ask for information. God doesn't need information. He asked for interrogation. <laughs> He needed to know where was Adam going to respond. Of course, Adam did not respond well. He responds like many of us do. The woman that thou gavest me, she gave me these. So he, he puts the blame back on the Lord rather than to accept responsibility. He said, How about that, Eve? What do you think? Well, the serpent, <laughs> he beguiled me and I did eat. Continuing passing the buck. He said, but he said Bless are the people who mourn, who will accept responsibility and sincerely repent when God puts his finger on a sin in our life. He said, because they will be comforted. They will be encouraged. It's not fun. You know, so many people, they have a sinful activity, and it's, it's like a, a cyst maybe on your leg, a cyst, and it's starting to bubble up, and you keep seeing it, and you're seeing it. And, and rather, when, that's, when, that, when there is something, there's a boil or something there, there's a cyst there, you can put all the medicine you want to put topically. It's not going to take care of it. You can, you can go put Vaseline on it. You can put Neosporin on it. What has to happen somewhat, sometimes, someone's going to have to lance it, open it up, remove that, and put it back together. And it's going to hurt. It's going to be kind of miserable, but you can be comforted once you deal with that.
And so many times in relationships and in our lives, we're just trying to put salve over something that is cancerous. It has to be removed. And I think he said, blessed are they that mourn. He also reminded us about meek. Blessed are the meek. And they'll inherit the kingdom of God. And it's speaking about those who are willing to adjust to another's agenda. We spoke about that this morning. And that means in this life, we primarily yield control to God. So that we will have, he said, one day you'll inherit the earth. The word earth there, the, the Greek word is gay. So, uh, so amazing, G-A-Y, if how you would say that. And of all words they would use to live in such a perverted, wicked, uh, repulsive lifestyle, that's what it is, it's earth. And uh, it's, it's, the word, it's the word for earth in, in the Greek. And yet uh, we find that God says, he says, if I can find someone who's willing to yield to me in this life, then I will give them the earth in the next life. They'll inherit the earth. They'll have many more choices later. And, but meekness is what God calls us to today. And I'm not talking about letting everyone else control you, but there's, there's a part of that that's true. But I'm talking about letting God control you. Many of us were so self-willed, God can't control us. We've got our own opinions. We rebel against our rules at school. We rebel against our, our husbands or our boss at work or our parents. And, and we want to have all this control. And uh, he said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. But let's look at the next ones real quickly. Look at verse number six. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And this is, of course, teaching us a basic thought. He said a, a characteristic of practical Christianity. They want, they desire to do the right thing, whatever's right to do. And this is, this is the Bible says, if they do that, they will be filled. They will get what they, what they put in. And, you know, one thing we know the Bible teaches us is that God majors and has a theme throughout all the Bible, and that's righteousness. We'll see it in this sermon. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his. He said, the fruit of the righteous is the tree of life. And he that winneth souls is, you know, one of the reasons you want to go soul winning. It's the right thing to do. When John the Baptist came to Jesus and he said, I need you to baptize. Jesus said, I need you to baptize me. John forbade him. He argued. He said, I'm not going to do that. I'm, you can baptize me. I'm not going to baptize you. And Jesus said the magic words. And John said, well, you put it that way, I'll do it. He said, it's to fulfill all righteousness. And then John said, oh, okay, well, that, then let's do it. He, he told him it was the right thing to do. And all through the scriptures, God is going to tell us, major on righteousness. He said, if, if I can get somebody in a, in a Christian uh, body and a mindset to major and hunger and thirst for what is right. Every young person you're dating, you ought to say, you know, what's the right thing to do here? When it comes time you want to go do something or go somewhere, or you have some situation you're asked to do by your authorities, and you ought to ask, what is the right, not what I want to do, not what I feel like doing, not what's easy, not what's convenient, not what's popular, what is right to do? Someone said, nothing's ever settled till it's settled right. Nothing's ever settled right till it's settled right with God. And we're looking at practical Christianity. Jesus said these very words. He said, look, blessed, blessed are those that, that are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, who accept responsibility and sincerely repent when they're wrong. Blessed are the meek 
who allow uh, others, and the Lord in particular, to, to direct this path. They're willing to adjust to another's choice or agenda. And he says, blessed are they that hunger and thirst have righteousness. There is satisfaction. They shall be filled. Look at the next verse, would you please? The Bible says, and there are nine of them here. He said, blessed, verse 7, are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And someone mentioned tonight about the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is merciful. Bestowing mercy on other people has mercy bestowed upon thee. And it's really important, I think, in one of the verses, there are numbers of verses in the Bible that kind of capsulate Christianity. I, I, I love these verses. You're probably familiar with them. But uh, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lead not to no understanding. Another one would be, uh, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandment. This is the whole duty of man. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 5, where the Bible tells us the end of the commandment, when it's all said and done, uh, have charity out of a pure heart, a clean conscience, and a faith that is unfeigned. But another verse of Scripture that's like that is Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. He has showed the old man what is good, and what the Lord doth require thee, but to do justly and to love what? Mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. How merciful are you as a Christian? When you have a chance to really slam somebody, are you quick to do it? Are you quick to judge? Are you quick to criticize? Are you quick to do it? Are you, or do you give others the benefit of the doubt? Are you a merciful person? I've, I've, I've observed this a few times in my life, and it's something that I have had personally. I've had a problem with it. But sometimes the people hardest against folks who fall fall themselves not too long after. And that's what the Bible tells you. He said, listen, you, you, if you want to, if you want to really be a, you want to be a hardhead with somebody, take heed lest you fall. When you think you stand, be careful. And I think it's important that we understand that if we want mercy, we need to extend mercy. God's people ought to be people who are poor in spirit, relying upon the Lord. There ought to be people who accept responsibility and sincerely repent when they're wrong. There ought to be people that are yielded to the Lord and willing to, to adjust their will to another's pace or agenda. They ought to hunger and thirst after rights. They ought to be merciful. Look at the next verse the Bible tells us. Verse number 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I think the pure in heart primarily talks about our morals and our motives, but also about basic holiness. He said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Take your Bibles, if you would please, hold your place there and go to Hebrews chapter 12. Would you please, Hebrews chapter 12, turn your papers over there, your Bibles, and let's look at it. If you're in the habit of underlining verse in your Bible, this is one you'd want to underline. Are you with me? We doing okay? Good. Thank you for listening. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, let's everyone read it together. And of course, this is in the concept, uh, this is in the context of a race. And they said, you know, in Hebrews chapter 11, that great hall of faith, now everyone got off their course and they went into the grandstand. They're done. Moses has given, Jack Hiles has given, whoever else, they've done their last thing. I think about today was going through some of our sweet friends who've gone to be with the Lord a, a week ago, a year ago, yes, last week, Brother Charlie Geeser passed away. Miss Eileen Hall, I looked at a picture that, that Drew and I had taken with her just this last year, and now she's with the Lord. And other people who have gone on, Brother Roger, 
Mullinex, you know, and just uh, some sweet folks and, and uh, Miss, Miss Socorro just today. You know what happens? They've, they've given their last, their last dollar. They have given out their last track. They've witnessed to their last person. No soul winning in heaven. That's what we do here. But once they're done, they enter into what seems to be a grandstand or a, a balcony or a stadium seat. And the Bible says, now we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. And when you run your race, number one, you want to run light so you can run right. You want to lay, lay aside any weight or sin. You want to understand you got a fan base. You want to keep your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. You got to be sure you're willing to fight. You have not resisted against blood, and it's not going to be easy to run your race. There are some obstacles, and the more you make an impact on eternity, the more satanic opposition you're going to have. He said, Don't get mad with the Father. He is chastening you, He's working with you. And so many people lose their, their opportunities to run their race effectively because they get mad with the coach. You know, you've heard your coaches say, no pain, no gain. You know, I joke around and say, no pain, no pain. <laughs> but that's really not their, their MO there. They, they know. they got to work with you. you got to work with them. And he said, no chasing for the present time seems to be joyous. When you're in practice, no one likes to run and win sprints in practice or suicides. No, all you want to do is scrimmage. He said, but the coach is going to push you. He's going to push you in practice so that you can play well in the game. Don't get mad at the coach. And when difficulties come, don't get angry with the Lord. But along with other things he'll tell them, look what he says in verse number 14. In talking about the race, follow peace with all men. And what? Without which no man can see who. And by the way, look, if you would please, verse 2, looking unto who? Okay, so one of the keys of our focus of our race is being able to see Jesus. But here's what the context is. He says, listen, when you run your race, stay in your lane. And don't get caught up fighting with the guy next to you. You start fighting with the guy next to you, what's going to happen? He said, follow peace with all men and holiness. Because if you're, if you're running your race and you're all of a sudden over here fighting with Tim or fighting with Brother Mark, what's going to happen is you're going to lose your focus. You're going to get out of your lane and you're not going to be able to see clearly what's going on ahead of you. I think the Lord is telling us that. He said, look, uh, you need to be holy. You need to be pure of heart. Make your, and by the way, usually we get upset with people oftentimes because of motives of the heart that are not right. You know, well, they didn't appreciate me. They didn't come shake my hand. They, didn't, they don't really care about me. I want to go to a church that cares about me or whatever. And me, me, me is what it happens to be. Well, when we get excited, we ought to get excited about what God's doing. But we also don't get, don't, if you find yourself getting continually aggravated with those around you, probably you're taking your eyes off the Lord. And you're getting off the holiness. And without holiness, you do not see the Lord. He says, blessed are the pure heart, for they shall see God. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. Look at the next verse if we can. We're challenged by verse number 10. I'm sorry, verse number 9. Read it with me, would you please, everybody? Blessed are the, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. If anybody, and remember, peace has to be made. Peace does not happen to your bedroom just because you want it to happen. You got to make the bed. You got to pick up the. You got to pick up the laundry. You've got to dust the dust the nightstand. 
You just don't have a peaceful life because you want one. It has to be made. And that's the challenge. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. But I think also, really, this is in context. I think it's soul winners, too. You know, the Bible tells us that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you go soul winning, one of your things you're doing is you're helping people make peace. Peace with God. There's two types of peace, and Brother Tim alluded to that today. One is the peace with God, and the other is the peace of God. The peace with God happens the moment you get saved. When you get saved, you exchange your sin for God's Son. He gives you His peace. Romans tells us that, that, that now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But the peace of God comes through the Word of God, through prayer. Those are the things that bring the peace of God on my life. Now, I always have peace with God from the moment I got saved. So when I go to God, He has no angst against me. Have you ever been to court? Pastor, have you ever been to court? That's none of your business. I'm just... <laughs> yes, I have. You know, I don't like going to court because I don't know the judge. And I know I'm, I'm probably guilty. Or even if I'm innocent, I'm, I'm nervous that he's not going to go my way. Boy, it's a miserable thing when you go to court when you don't know. But you know, when I step into heaven's court, I don't have to be nervous about where I'm going to spend eternity. I know the judge. And I have an advocate, Jesus Christ the... He stands in front of me. And he is my guarantee of peace with God. Now, I do get to go to court again with God for, the, for judgment, for the judgment seat of Christ, for not for my sin, but for my works. And you will too. You have to do that. But here he says, blessed are the peacemakers. And this is one of the reasons why every one of us ought to be actively praying and asking God, give me somebody. Somebody I can make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. The Bible teaches us here. And of course, the, the benefit of peacemaking, you can see in the verse of Scripture. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Verse number 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. Snake, sake. I must be hungry talking about steaks. <laughs> For theirs is the kingdom of, God, of heaven. And he said, there he's going to get to a little bit more challenging, those who suffer. So those who are suffering, he said, blessed are those who are persecuted, those who have some difficulties put upon them. The apostle Paul said, yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He said, the spirit speaketh expressly that bonds and afflictions abide with me. I know that there are going to be that. Now, many of us in America, I'm scared, we're scared to death. I could be scared to death of that. Many of our brothers and sisters in China, North Korea, Yemen, Saudi Arabia, Somalia, uh, Uganda, many of these places in Africa and in other places of the world, they've been hurt so bad. We have no idea. Our worst day would be better than their, their best day because of what is in, entailed upon their lives and, and the difficulty, the rejection, the, 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 uh, the persecution. He tells us there, he said, listen, Christians who live out the Christian life will suffer some challenges. Some be within, some be without our community, and others will be satanically induced upon us. He said, blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness. Some folks are persecuted, they're, they're, moder they're self-made martyrs. They're not really persecuted for righteousness. They're persecuted because they got a bad attitude. And because they stir it up themselves, they create their own. They're self-inflicted problems. 
And then they blame this. They go, oh, I'm just doing suffering for the Lord. It's really all them. But he said, for those who are persecuted for righteous sake, he said, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and God's going to help them. Look, if you would please the next one, verse 11. Blessed are ye when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. He said, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And, of course, you see Daniel in the Bible, Jeremiah, those men of God, Isaiah, though oftentimes most of them, they knew the inside of a jail cell. Jeremiah knew what it was like. A lion's den, Daniel knew what it was like. These prophets that came before you, they, they had, they, it's nothing new. He said, this is going to happen. They're going to revile you. They're going to speak uh, untruths. They'll make up stories about you. These are things that, that are practical Christianity. And I don't know about you, but I don't like those last couple ones. You know, let me be meek. Okay, I can live there maybe. Self-reliant, dependent upon the Lord. All right, that's a good one right there. Some of these other ones, when it gets down to the difficulties, but this is a reality. And this is one of the reasons we ought to pray for one another. I'm a little bit nervous sometimes how strong I will be when I'm really pressed, when I'm really attacked. I don't like that. I don't like to think about that. And I think one of the things I've, sh I've shared with you before, I'm weak and I'll always be weak. God's strong and he'll always be strong. And I need to trust him. And I don't have to worry about that. The Bible says sufficient to the day is evil thereof. You got problems today? Deal with those. Don't worry about tomorrow. The tomorrow will take thought of its own self. Don't worry about the tomorrow. However... He says, look, practical Christianity has these elements, even persecution, even false accusations, even reviling, speaking evil about you. He said, when you have that happen, don't get upset, rejoice and be exceeding glad. Why? Because great is your reward in heaven. God has got rewards for anyone who practices biblical Christianity. Let's look at, the, we've talked about the characteristics. Let's look at a couple influences, two of them real quickly, and we'll close. Look at the next verse, verse number 13. Read it with me out loud. Are you ready? Ye are the salt of the earth, and if the salt have lost his savor, it is henceforth good for nothing. This is one verse, but Jesus is now in the sermon. He's told them about characteristics. Now he's going to say, look, you are influencer. Practical Christianity influences other people. People who know you're a Christian, and if they don't know you're a Christian, but they know you're a Christian, they're watching you. And he uses two illustrations of influence, salt and light. And God wants us to be those things. Salt is an interesting illustration that the Lord Jesus uses. Number one, salt is essential for life. You got to have it. How many put salt in your food today? Anybody put salt in their food? I did too. But even if you, if you didn't put salt in your food, I don't like salt, you get salt. And you got to have it. It's part of your, as you need that mineral inside of you. And by the way, this world needs you. Your community needs you. The place you work needs you. Your neighborhood needs you. They may not understand you. I was talking to my neighbor. I called and checked on today, and he said at the end, he said, John, he goes, thank you for being such a good neighbor. He said, you're always checking on me, and you guys give me some extra food from time to time. And he goes, I, I don't know. He goes, I just really appreciate you being a good neighbor to me. You know, it should be something, and I'm not always that good. Not all my neighbors would say that about me. 
But I would say that ought to be something there because we want to be essential. It's essential in your neighborhood. The second thing we see here, not only is salt essential for life, but salt retards bacterial growth. In, in Eastern cultures, at this time, they would put salt, they would rub it in the, in the meat in order to keep it from spoiling. You know, this world, they, they have come to a place and they're going to get more and more, especially in the United States of America, and you even think about Tanzania. What is so hard about having a missionary get a visa in Tanzania? In the middle of Africa, with more problems you can shake a stick at, why is that going to be such a problem? Well, we know about government agencies and that kind of a thing. We also have the prince and power of the earth and the world, the air, the, the devil working against that. But uh, we had a, a, a senator in Nebraska, another one in Iowa, said not too long ago, if we could just get rid of this religious right, we would have a good society. But, you know, they don't want that. They don't want that. But the truth of the matter is, and I think this is true in our city, I think Hammond, Indiana is a better place because 134 years ago, Allen Hill showed up here in August, had house meetings, and then rented the Morton House Hotel and started assembling people up in the, up in the, up in the conference room in the attic there. Pastor Hewitt came back in, in April of, of the next year. But I think this, this city has been blessed because of this church. And it's, I think that the Hammond, and one of the things that the Hammond, if I'm, not, if I don't, if I'm not mistaken, I think this Coffee Creek Baptist Church in Southern Indiana sent two other guys up here trying to start a church before Allen Hill came. And they both went back and said, that's, that's a rough town. They've got this, the bars and all these guys are running the railroad and they're hard to deal with. I wonder what, what, what Ham, Indiana would look like without, I wonder what the, the wickedness, it's a wicked town as it is, 78,000 people in one town. But I wonder what this Calumet region would have been like without a First Baptist Church. I think the, it's retarded retarded some of the digression, the bacterial infection that just comes. Well, salt is essential for life. It retards that. I think also salt gives flavor. It creates a thirst. Uh, it creates a thirst. One of the things I, I want so badly is I want people that meet you and meet us. They don't necessarily have to agree with us, but they ought to say, wow. They ought to say how. Our police chief, former police chief, came to our meeting the other day, and, and um, he, 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 I just introduced him to our staff, our, 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 uh, our, our workers on the morning of devotions. And when he left me that day, he said, you know, there's something about you guys. He said, I feel when I'm here, there's just there's a quality you guys have here that I don't think everybody understands. I just feel like you're just really good, solid people. But he, could, he, can't, he can't connect the dots. I called him and left a message for him the other day, and I'm praying that God will give me a chance to talk to him. We have our, um, our, new, our new congressman coming here in a couple weeks, I think, maybe next Sunday morning to our services. And uh, led his dad to the Lord, um, uh, Senator Mervan. He's not yet saved. The son is not yet saved. We're praying that God will save him. But he, he can't really figure out what's going on. There's some things that are just not, not connecting. But you know what, if, if Christians are what we ought to be, if we're influenced in society, first of all, we're essential that they find life. Number two, we can retard the digression of the bacterial sin that so is rampant in our world. 
It's going to get worse and worse, but Christians who will stand faithful to the Lord and practice biblical Christianity will we'll flavor society in a better way. We'll create a thirst in those around us. May I say to you, salt has to be distributed. I, I want you to understand this. For some of us to still be in this room in five years, somebody will be out of the will of God. Because the Spirit of God, He moves people. There's some in here that we love, and we love you so much, but God's going to lift you and put you in another location for his own purposes. Can I remind you that Jesus is the chief shepherd? And he owns all the flocks of all churches everywhere. And sometimes he moves sheep from one flock to another flock. He moves shepherds from one flock to another flock. Remember years ago, and one of the reasons, eight years ago this week, on Friday, our, our family landed here in, in Chicago Midway Airport, and we started our trek together as a family at First Baptist Church. And I'm so thankful for that. But I believe with all my heart, it wasn't me. I didn't fill out an application. I didn't send a resume in. It was God just saying, well, John, I, I've, got, I've got you. I need you to go over here. I had to, I had to feel like oh, this is what God wanted. And God puts things in. But salt has to be distributed. Years ago, there was a vigilante hired to stamp out the Moravians. The Moravians are Baptist, his Baptist ancestors. And, but they were, they, they were converting people. In, uh, and so some religious, uh, false religions were saying, we want to get rid of these people, exterminate them, get rid of them. And they hired a vigilante and they said, here's what we want. We'll pay you a strong sum just to, to eradicate the Moravians. And they said to them, after evaluating them, they said, you know what, we're, the Moravians were Baptistic people. He said, we're not taking the job. So there's three reasons we won't take the job. Number one, he said, these people are loyal to a book. They don't care what the Pope says. They don't care what the preacher says. They are loyal to a book. It's really hard to conquer people who are loyal to the same marching orders. Said so they're very loyal. They're not, they don't care. You can tell them one thing. We can tell them some, someone else can tell them something. That they go with the Bible. Number two, he said, they think it's their job to spread out all over the world. They don't, if you get them out here, they're going to be moving over here. He said, they just keep sending people away from their churches. He said, they think it's their job to get the gospel to, every, to their message to everybody. Number three, he said, they're very respectable people. People don't agree with them, but they respect them. They pay their bills on time. They treat their families right. They raise their kids to be respectable. And even people who don't necessarily agree with what they teach, they respect who they are. Would to God that would be the same thing today. But I, that, no, that second point is what makes me think about this. Salt has to be distributed. Some of you young people, God's working your heart about going to the mission field. Say yes. If God wants you to do it, you do it. If you've got a pile of cash over here, or you've got an opportunity to serve God and make an impact for eternity, do what God wants you to do. Don't chase a career. Don't chase the financial benefit. Don't say, well, I can make more money. That's nothing compared to the will of God for you. If that was a big thing, Dr. Callan will still be at the University of Tennessee. A long time ago, he would have retired. And, but many people have come to know Christ and their lives have been so influential the world around. There are people tonight getting ready to have services in Oregon and in Arizona and all over the world have been influenced because of a decision that he, had a, he could make a lot more money, have a great retirement, come over here for a fraction of the amount of money. 
You just need to do what God wants you to do. But remember that salt has to be distributed to make an account, to make it count. Look at the next thing real quick about salt. Salt takes away hardness. If you ever um, have hard water, you add some salt to it. It softens things up. Um, that's another thing about salt. And then salt requires labor and patience to acquire. You know, if you, I've never dug salt. I've never been mining for salt. But I understand it's not just something you just pick up someplace. Something that has to be dug out. And, and you know, souls and bus routes and Sunday school classes, they're not going to be built strong on spare time and pocket change. You, you, you can't just, you, just like the people of, of Haggai's day, you know, they just, they, they just got so busy doing their things. They were hindered by government intervention and local bullies, and they just stayed close, just took care of their stuff, and they stopped on the house of God. I would think that souls need to be reached by patience and hard work. And then the last thing that comes to my mind is salt must make contact for it to be effective. You're not going to enjoy salt. You're not going to enjoy salty potatoes when the salt's over here and the potatoes are over here. There has to be contact made. And I think that's important too. Is that Jesus said you're in the world, but you're not of the world. But you got to get in that thing. I think of Jesus. Could you imagine wherever he went, people were touching him. People were bringing babies up to him. Of course, the apostles said to the disciples, saying. Man, please, get the baby out. I, I, I'm happy you got a baby. Leave him alone. Would you please? The guy's busy. And Jesus rebuked him said, hey, no, 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 no. Suffer little children to come to me. Could you imagine the day he was walking when the, the lady touched him and said, someone touched me. And they said, tell me something I don't know. <laughs> Everybody touched me. I wish people quit touching me. Said, someone touched me and he was, he was busy. But boy, you have to make, a make an impact. I think we ought to be separated. I'm all for separation. I think the doctrine of separation is one of the most biblical doctrines in the whole Bible. And the Bible says, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge. If you, don't have a, if you don't have a virtue, you will not grow in your knowledge. But I will say this, we've got to be in the world. You've got to be developing relationships. I was blessed by Mrs. Colson. She was telling me, there's someone I've been asking the Lord to save, and I've been witnessing to them and trying to, not very successfully. But I'm praying, I, I was so blessed, Mrs. Wil Mrs. Colson saw them and she gave them a ride someplace and they began to talk. And now when I get back to see that person, I'm going to be able to have another opportunity to talk to them more so about the Lord Jesus Christ. But you've got to touch people. Some of you, you haven't handed a gospel track in months. You haven't been on someone else's doorstep in months. Some of you would be a good idea for you next Saturday, come to Soul Winning and just find a bus captain and say, just can I go visit with you today? Let me just go see. Some of you need to step on, 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 on doorsteps where there's bud light everywhere, where kids are running around and no clothes on and mom and dad are out and passed out and see the need, take the lead and do something. Some of us, we, have, we haven't touched this world. We, we get from our house to our nice car to our church and get all dressed up. We haven't done, we haven't touched the world. And salt is something that has to be touched to make an impact on. And then he says, if, if, if a salt has lost its savor, it's just, it's just junk. If it doesn't, if it doesn't have savor, then you just throw it out. And then the last thing the Bible tells us for sake of time, you know the verse, Read it with me, verse, verse well, let's, let's pick up and let's read it, see what God says. Verse 14, ye are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do men light a candle, but to put it under a bushel, 
but on a candlestick, and to give it light to all that are in the house. And then let's read verse 16. Ready? That they may see your good works. To influence a nation, to influence a community, we need to be salt, and the other thing is we need to be light. And light says that just like a light that's on top of a hill, a city set on a hill, it cannot be hid. It does that. And men light a candlestick, they don't put under a bushel. There's two things, and Brother Vargo taught me this years ago, but another pastor of Scripture, he said, men don't light a candle and put it under their bed or under a bushel. It's foolish. So you light a candlestick so you can see. And there's two things that oftentimes people hide their Christianity under a bed. That's pleasure and leisure. They don't want, they don't want, it takes work to serve the Lord. So they hide their light under their bed of leisure and, and rest and comfortability. You know, many people could serve God, but it's just too uncomfortable. So they take their candle and they put it under a bed. Other people put it under a bushel. That's a type of work, vocation. I'm just too busy. I got, I got a lot of stuff going. I, mean, I work five days a week. I work six days a week. I'm not going to spend that time doing that. And they use the work or they use their leisure as a reason for not shining their light. But God says, hey, take your light and let it out. And demonstrate it by your good works. That people will see your good works and they'll glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Practical Christianity, its characteristics and its influence, salt and light.